Okay, good morning, Willingdon Church. Um, let's continue in worship by the opening of God's Word and by the preaching also of God's Word. So if you want to open up with me as we continue our Hidden Treasure series. So that's Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50. It's going to be short. I'm going to read it for us, and we'll continue. For those who don't know me, my name is Vin. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Willingdon and that's all the information I have. <laughs> okay, so Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 15, it says this. While he, that is Jesus, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my, is my brother, my sister, and mother. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, today as we've worshipped you through, through song, as we worship you, like sitting here with hands and hearts open and ready to receive, Lord God, by your word. We praise you and worship you. We thank you for your word and the preaching of your word, Lord God. Would you encourage us by the power of your Holy Spirit now? And for those of us who are here for the first time, would you soften our hearts? Would you open our ears and open our eyes to what you would have to say to us, Lord God? And Jesus, for all of us, as we as we leave this place, will we leave different from when we came in? And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, when, I was, when I was young, my parents at a very, very early age started to play classical music for me, from Mozart to Beethoven and whatever it is. Because the hope was, as they played classical music for me when I was young, somehow it would magically make me smarter. I don't know, amen, maybe, but why do I feel as dumb as an ox? I don't know, but I did enjoy it growing up. Truthfully, I did enjoy um, listening to Mozart and Beethoven and Chopin and, and all these people. It got to the point that as I grew and started to develop this joy and passion, it actually opened the doors to other things. I've been blessed and privileged in my life to go and enjoy the symphony when my father would take the family, we'll go to the Sydney Opera House and go listen to an orchestra play these pieces. I've even been blessed enough to go and listen to the opera. People are singing songs I don't understand in a language I don't understand, but it's it sounds so beautiful and sounds so amazing that there have been moments when it brought a tear to my eye. So the truth is, I do enjoy arts and culture, that world of it all, but there was one time when a friend of mine organized a very special event. The event was Tchaikovsky's Swan, The Swan Lake. If you don't know it, it's one of the most epic ones, most, most famous, it's been put into movies, it's been into cartoons, and if that wasn't epic enough, it was going to be performed by Russia's National Ballet. My friend pulled every string 
every string to get the tickets because it was so hard to come by. And they were also very expensive. But that was a gift to me for whatever reason. As soon as it starts, like I've never been to the ballet, but like I said, I love this world of art and culture. As soon as it starts, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> All I see is men in tights <laughs> prancing around. Who's a swan? Where's the lake? I don't see a lake. Like, where's the princess? I have no idea what's going on. And I'm not kidding you. 10 to 15 minutes as this performance is going, I see men sleep. <laughs> and then I see men snore. I hear them snore. An hour in, and the curtains go down. I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. This is over. But it was a trick. It wasn't over. It was the intermission. I tell you this story because my friend who invited me to go and witness the ballet for the first time, and for the last time, we are still friends. We shouldn't be because of this event, but we remain friends. You know why? We remain friends because my friendship to this friend means more to me than a terrible event or men in tights. I bring this story up because the Bible passage we have just read, the one that we're going to wrestle through today together, by the time we get to the end of the passage, of the text, the question you and I need to answer is, who or what comes first in our lives? Okay, that's, that's what we have to answer by the end. Who or what comes first in our lives? So today I have three points that I want us to sort of go through in the passage. First point, put Jesus first, not last. Second point, Jesus is first and not last. Third point, live like you are fully adopted, okay? So put Jesus first, not last. Jesus is first, not last. Live like you are fully adopted, Verse 46, point one, put Jesus first, not last. When we get to Matthew chapter 12, the whole chapter, when we get to the verse 46, we know that Jesus now, in verse 46, is in the middle of teaching. He's in the middle of teaching and preaching to all those who are listening to him. And in the middle of this teaching, we are told that Jesus' mother and brothers are outside wanting to talk to him as in to interrupt the teaching and talk. What we miss here is the tension that's been building up up to verse 46. There's been tension between Jesus and his earthly family. In the Gospel of Mark, that is the, the Gospel right after the Gospel of Matthew, Mark records the exact same story, the exact one in Mark chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. I'm not going to read it for us, but you can check it out later. But the Gospel of Mark has built up the tension up to the point of this incident. Because 10 verses earlier in Mark chapter 3, verses 21, it says, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. That's his family speaking about Jesus. So the question then is, naturally should be for us, is, what has led Jesus' family to come to this point? 
Did they actually think Jesus is crazy? According to the Gospel of Mark, Jesus had big crowds following him. Okay, lots and lots of people following him because of the miracles. It says in Mark's Gospel, because of the miracles he had been performing. We get to this point and the evil spirits, evil spirits are calling Jesus, you are the son of God. And then to add on top of that, he now has 12 disciples. Look, you have to understand, his brothers who are probably thinking, bro, are you crazy? You are a carpenter's son just like us. Why would you have 12 disciples? The Gospel of Matthew frames the tension differently between Jesus and his earthly family. According to Matthew, in chapter 12, verses 30, it says this. This is Jesus' now, Jesus' words. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Those are fighting words. Most of you don't know this, but before moving to Burnaby, I lived in Calgary for seven years. As soon as I stepped into British Columbia, I was asked a single question. Who do you support? The question stems from who am I loyal to in the National Hockey League? Just a reminder, the Canucks have never won the Stanley Cup. You don't have to like it, but that's reality. So right now, if you're asking me, look, I, I don't want to support losers. <laughs> the year's not over. Yeah, wait, but you're one in five. I'm willing to change teams, but something, you know, but before the discussion starts, you know what I mean? Like, come on win something, and maybe we can talk about it, but for now, today, if you ask me today, I'm a flame supporter. Look, Matthew's gospel adds and piles up the tension. You have to understand, the family tension between Jesus and his family and pits them against each other. Because if you, you're, in today's passage, Jesus is telling everyone, Everyone who is listening when he's preaching and teaching, but also to his family. What he's saying is this, you were either on my side or you were on the side of the enemy. But the point is, pick a side. That's what he's saying. See, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ray preached on how the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the, you know, the, the religious police, they accused Jesus of helping a demon-possessed man by the power of Satan. This is the Pharisees, the most respected, the most revered, the most honored people of Jesus' society. And they're saying, they're against Jesus. Not only is Jesus dealing with his family, but he has to deal with the Pharisees. And you have to understand, the Pharisees had so much power and influence, the masses would have been following them. See, going back to Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, I want us to consider another tension here and its cultural moment that is occurring. Look, remember that as all this is happening, okay, as all this is happening, this is happening 
in a culture, in a time where honor and shame is the cultural moment. Jesus' family, you have to understand, they're completely embarrassed by what Jesus is saying and doing. They feel the shame. And it's all coming back to them. Jesus' mother is hearing about her son's exploits and most likely other people are coming to her privately and saying to her, did you hear what your son said and did this time? See, in the honor and shame culture that I part-time live in, I can understand the embarrassment and shame for Jesus' family. I understand it. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. I can understand why they demanded to speak to him right there and right then. Because Jesus needed to stop. Stop embarrassing the family. You being crazy makes us look crazy too. If Jesus did the same thing to your family, my family, in today's culture, I wonder what the response would be. Because our culture today, if you think about our cultural moment today, what would we say about family? For many of us in this room, in our Canadian context, we would use words like, or sentences like, blood is thicker than water. If you haven't heard that term, it's best translated as, look, family comes first. Simple. I love my kids, I love the kids that run around here. If you haven't gone down to visit or volunteered downstairs in the nursery, in, in the children's ministry, it makes me think, wow, we've got a big children's ministry. We, I want more though. I wish we had more COVID babies and then we just, oh, it would be crazy. <laughs> if, you, if you weren't here on Friday night for Under the Big Top and how amazing that was to see all the kids and candy, and my kids on a sugar high and I couldn't put them to sleep, doesn't matter. But I think, like, when you look at Pastor Jono and the rest of the children's ministry team and how amazing they are. But when I look at our children and I look at the children of our great country, I have a concern. And here's my concern. My concern is that our children are becoming our idols I think we worship them. I think we try to give them whatever they want. Because for many of you growing up, you didn't have a lot of things, so you figure, I'll just give everything my kids want because I didn't have it. I know parents put a lot of self-worth into their children, and when their children do not turn out the way that they want, we tend to say things like, what's wrong with you? Did I not raise you better than this? And when they don't act the way you want them to act, you say stuff like, don't you know the sacrifices I have made for you? Shape up. But this doesn't just relate to kids. It's also to pets. According to a Canadian statistic, Canadians on average for dogs, we spend $3,724 a year on caring for a pet dog a year. The statistic does not mention cats. You know why? Because cats deserve to die. (laughs) 
What this number actually tells us is that we spend more money on pets than we do with children in need. That's what the number tells us. I know that in our cultural setting today, we would struggle to make Jesus first. Why? Because there's just so many distractions. We've got so many idols. There's so many other things to worry about and, and, and put our you know, self-worth in. I know there's many of you in this room. I know. I've heard it. You say, yes, I put Jesus first. But you do it with lip service and not with heart service. And yet God the Father would be completely justified if he left us to our own idols and just like left us there and watch us slowly cave in on ourselves, he'll be completely justified. Blood is thicker than water. It's a cultural term we use to comfort each other, I think. But my pushback to our culture today would be summed up like this. If blood is thicker than water, then why are there so many husbands leaving their wives if blood is thicker than water, then why are there so many children without fathers? If blood is thicker than water, then why are there so many parents and grown-up children no longer talking to each other? If blood is thicker than water, then why are there so many family squabbles on finances? If blood is thicker than water then why are there so many single people who feel so alone? We need something greater than blood, the blood that we share. We need something deeper. We need something more stable. We need something more loving. We need something more gracious and faithful. But what could be deeper than blood? Let's go to verse 47. There is no verse 47. Why? Well, it depends on your translation of the Bible. Many would include verse 47, but the, uh, the ESV, the one that we use here at Willingdon, has made the decision not to include it. Why? Look, we have over 5,000 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. And the earliest and the most reliable of the manuscripts do not include verse 47. But if you want to know what verse 47 says, it basically repeats verse 46. The only thing it adds is that someone approaches Jesus and tells him, your family's outside wanting to talk to you. I don't have time to you know, break it down why, but look, I want to encourage us to stay engaged on this topic about the reliability of the Bible in Scripture because we will address it in the new year. But let's go to verses 48 and to 49, which goes to my second point, which is Jesus is first and not last. It's interesting how Jesus responds. Jesus responds with a question. If you look at his question, the, the, the understanding of the question, he's not confused here. Don't think he's asking the question, wait, who? Who's my mother? You know, who's my brother? He's, that's not what, he's not framing it that way. He knows that's his family out there. He knows that's his mother. But he's not thinking about his blood family. He's not thinking about the family you married into or even, you know, even the, the family members that you, or like non-family members you call bro. He's thinking more, deeper. Jesus is thinking in terms of eternity. 
Jesus is actually asking, who is on my team? Who is on my side? Who is in my eternal family? Who puts me first in their life? That's what he's asking. It is important to keep in mind that as all this is happening in verse 46, verse 46 has set this visual image for us, even when we're reading the rest of the verses. There's a visual image for us. The word I would encourage you to underline or highlight in your Bible is the word outside in verse 46. The Gospel of Matthew has intentionally used the term outside, not just in physical terms, but also in spiritual terms. In recent years, the term universalism has been popular, a popular term in Christian circles, if you, if you haven't heard it. Even though it has gained popularity in the last 15 years, the truth is universalism has been around for about 500 years. The term universalism, if you haven't heard it, in simple terms, is the belief is that this loving God will save every person in the end. Everyone gets saved. No one will perish. No one will go to hell. No one will die. Everyone lives. No matter what you do, no matter what you believe in. You know, this belief has picked up a lot of steam in the last 15 years. You know why? Part of it is, I'll tell you why, but like the first thing is this. Many are believing this belief. They're leaving orthodox Christianity, historical Christianity. Many are leaving. Young adults are leaving in the, in the numbers. Are, you can't count them. You know why? Because that pill is easier to swallow. It's easier to swallow that Jesus just loves everyone and everyone gets in. And it's a message that's easier to share because it's just less offensive. I know this is going to sound crazy, but once again, I'm promoting our series in January, in the coming new year. But the crazy thing is that this hell and the biblical understanding of it is actually a loving act from God. Hell is a loving act from God. But the idea of the passage is that there are people, even though they are blood-related to Jesus, they remain on the outside. Why do they remain physically and spiritually outside? Because they did not follow Jesus in that moment. Church, I want to thank so many of you here. This morning, today, in, in my time since I've been here, there have been many of you who have been calling Willington home for 60 years to one year, whatever it is, but so many of you have shared your very short stories with me. Stories of brokenness, pain, suffering, hurt, whatever it is, neglect, abandonment. For you, whether it was your fault, not, whatever it is, that's not the point here. But when these sort of things happen, when the pain and the hurt and the suffering and abandonment is very visual and very, you know, you can see it. When, those, when, when you're bad, when you make bad choices or when you're in a bad circumstance, you clearly know you need help, right? 
You know you need saving. You need, you need someone like Jesus to come and save you from those circumstances, those moments, but also from yourself. It's like if you were to fall into the mud. You were completely covered in mud. It is very evident to you and to everyone else that you need to get yourself cleaned up, that you need to go take a shower, right? But the opposite is very concerning. Because there are many in the Christian church today that they think because they look and act nice and proper that they don't need saving. That life is going well and it's perfect and it means I don't need saving and I don't need a savior. And then there are too many Christians who are concerned about following the commands of Jesus. You're worried about behavior. You think to yourselves, if I act like a Christian, then that must mean I'm a Christian. But Jesus makes it very clear when he says, follow me. He doesn't say, follow me and follow my commands. Yes, he says, follow me and obey my commands. But Christians are called to follow Jesus and Jesus alone. That's it. I would encourage you to underline and now highlight the word in verse 49 in your Bibles, the word here. There is an important distinction to make. There are those on the outside and there are those on the inside. And those on the inside are the people who are with Jesus. They have followed Jesus and they are on the inside, right? That's why he points to his disciples. I hate to bring this up, but the last two years have devastated our church family. Devastated. There's some of you who have not returned to church. Some for good reasons, but for whatever other reasons, comfort, convenience, fear, health, time, priorities, I don't know, haven't returned. Volunteers are down. There's been moments where we have, we've had to close down the nursery because there's no volunteer. We're, we're short everywhere, everywhere. That's why I'm so thankful for people like you know, Richard and his team in regards to the parking. Guys like that who are completely dedicated and volunteered right away. But for real family, as in blood-related family, I'll bring up this. I know that there are many of you here today where your biological father has let you down. For some of you, you don't even have a relationship with your biological father or mother. For some, you haven't even seen your parents in years. Some of you don't even know who they are. Some of you have never had a father love you or encourage you or bow his knee to give you a hug, for that I am deeply sorry. And we as a church mourn with you. But can I encourage you from Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 to 14, it says this. Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 to 14 says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, like children, 
For I tell you that in the heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not, not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. I want you to know that God of the Bible is a, is a good father. He's unlike your biological parents. He's not. He's better. And Jesus is a good and tender shepherd. He wants to save you. He has what it takes to chase after you, no matter how far you've run. And he has enough love and more than enough love to love you completely. Verse 50. Back to Matthew 12. Verse 50. The word I will encourage you to underline or highlight in your Bibles will be the word whoever. How wonderful is that word? Jesus is saying that anyone can join his family. The good, the bad, the ugly, whoever, all who put their faith in Jesus will be saved. But now we have to feel the tension of the next word, which is the word does. It needs to be addressed because it sounds like Jesus is talking about salvation by works. The Gospel of Matthew from start to finish is really concerned. Actually, what it's really concerned about in the Gospel of Matthew is are people following Jesus. It's concerned about discipleship. To make it clear, the Gospel of Matthew from start to finish believes and teaches that you are justified by faith alone. And since you are saved by faith alone, then you should act and live like you were saved by Jesus alone. Did you know that some Americans will pretend to be Canadian when they travel overseas? Did you know that? Americans, stay in your country. You know what they do? If you didn't know this, Americans, when they travel overseas, some will take their Canadian flag and they will sort of patch it onto their backpack so, they know, so people would know that they're, they're Canadians. And they travel because they know, Americans know, they don't get treated as nicely when they go overseas because, you know, Americans don't have the best reputation worldwide. But they know if they pretend to be Canadian, they get treated better. And because, you know, the accents are sort of similar, they can sort of get away with it and get the better treatment as Canadians. But at the end of the day, Canadians know who true Canadians are. You know, you pick it up from words and things that we do, right? We say things like, hey. <laughs> we talk about and do things that only Canadians do and say. Like, you know, we care about hockey. We care about Terry Fox and doing that crazy run every year. Canadians are liked 
why are we like overall? Because we say sorry all the time. <laughs> Knock it off. You can't be sorry about everything. But there are things that only Canadians say and do. But the same goes for Christians, right? There are, there are things that only Christians say and do. We say and believe that there is no name under heaven or on earth that a man and woman can be saved. We say and believe and do and live out that our lives are no longer our own, but we have died to ourselves and now we live for him. Only Christians say and believe those things. That's it, no one else. So live like it. Goes my third point. Live like you were fully adopted. I want to make it very clear about within my final point with how Jesus adopts us into his family. The first thing I want to say is adoption in Canada is difficult and expensive. I have personal friends who have found it easier to adopt, adopt in the US than it is in Canada. They found it easier. This needs to change. Because if you didn't know, there's about 20,000 Canadian kids who need adoption. They're waiting for adoption. And when you think about the cost, because the cost to adopt a child ranges from about $15,000 to $20,000. That needs to change. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 46, it says this, in love, he predestined, that is Jesus, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Adoption is a beautiful thing. If, if not, it's one of the most, most beautiful things. Why? Adoption starts with God. He has to make the first move. Like a real parent who has all the resources to adopt a child, they need to make the first move in adopting a child, and that's what God does. What makes adoption beautiful? Your adoption is not based on you. It's not about how good or bad you are or rich or poor you are. It is completely based on the love of God the Father. He sees your need and his compassion drives him to save you. For those who do get adopted, you are given all the rights and privileges of an adopted child. Like a real adopted child, you get the last name of the person who adopted you you join into the family and you get all its rights and privileges as a child. Here's a really important factor. The child who gets adopted into the family does not need to feel a part of the family first. You don't feel to be a part of the family to get into the family. You were already in the family before you feel anything. And church, you are not a foster child where the government just passes you along. When you're too tough, it just passes you along, passes you along. 
No rights, no privileges. You are not a foster child, so stop living like one. Live like you were fully adopted into God's family. When my kids behave badly when we go to a public restaurant and they act up and cry and scream and whatever it is, before thinking about beating them to death, I already know, and only parents know this, I already know people are judging me in the restaurant, right? I know the eyes are looking, they're judging me because I'm a terrible parent, blah, blah, blah. I get, I get it. I get the blame. But the opposite is also true. You know when my kids behave really well out in public? I've actually, I've literally had people stop my wife and I, Laura and I, and come up to us and say, your children are so well behaved. Who gets the credit there? The children? No. I do. With threats of beating, sorry. That's just, <laughs> that, that wasn't in my notes. I just. So you being adopted into the family of Jesus is for his glory, his credit alone. No one else's. In Romans chapter 5, verses 10, it says this, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. How does our adoption to God's family come together? How does it come? Just like a real adoption. Just like a real adoption, a price needed to be paid to get into the family, right? It was a price that you and I could not afford or pay. The price to get into God's family was death. But your death and my death still would not be enough because to get into God's perfect and eternal family, you need a perfect and eternal sacrifice. And if you and I were honest with ourselves, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. You and I are not, but Jesus is. Our adoption to God's family is only made possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Look around you. This is your spiritual family. So could you stop treating each other like this is temporary? But look around and know that these are your brothers and sisters in Christ that you were called to love. That where we will together worship the creator of the heavens and earth for all eternity. And to the singles in this room, for those who attend our Friday night services, Look around, your family's here. Your eternal family is right before your eyes. This is only made possible because we are united by the hidden treasure, which is the blood of Christ. Scripture tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 9, but do not overlook this one fact. Beloved, 
that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's patient with you and I, that we don't deserve it. Have you ever had to teach young children math? My wife, Laura, is in the middle of homeschooling um, our kids. You know why? Because we want our kids to be socially awkward. <laughs> oh, gosh. But look, she's in the middle of teaching our kids uh, math, and I- I've, been there on d- I've been there some of the t- time, I notice how hard it is to teach my children math. Laura can ask a very simple question, say, hey, what's five plus two? And somehow, magically, they'll come up with the number 58. <laughs> I can see Laura patiently, you know, <laughs> exhale and breathe and then hold up five fingers and then two fingers. Say, okay, let's count this together. My technique is just beat them to death and then whatever. <laughs> Well, everyone's going to go away and say, beats his children a lot. <laughs> you know, you and I, we're all equally arrogant, impatient children. But God, the Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he patiently and consistently keeps holding up the five fingers and the two. He says, count with me. And even when you don't get the answer right, he does it again. Come on, count with me. For those of you who are hearing this for the first time, would you consider following Jesus? Would you make him first and last in your life? If you have said yes in your heart, then come to Jesus. Cry out for him to save you. Tell him you were completely helpless, that you can't save yourself. You've been trying, and you've been trying really hard, and it hasn't worked out, and that you need his saving grace to save you. Ask the Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out. Because it's got to be from the inside out. Come from the outside in. But ask the Holy Spirit to help you to persevere to the end. It's not just one moment and you're done and you're in. Persevere to the end. And for my brothers and sisters in Christ, that you've been Christian for all your life, would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Would you just enjoy this life? And stop complaining. Enjoy this life that God has given you with all its blessings, its rights, its privileges as adopted children of God. To conclude, I want to go back to Jesus' family, where we started, because that's where we started, with his family, with his mother and his brothers. Remember where we started? They thought it was crazy. They wanted to seize him. They wanted to take him away. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, we are told the setting, the context is this. In Acts 1, 14, Jesus has resurrected. He's alive. He's about to ascend. He's about to physically go back to heaven. But right before he goes back to heaven... He does a a bit more teaching and instructions, his final teachings and instructions. 
We call her, he's in this upper room, in the upper room, and it's recorded, you know, who's there in his final teaching to praise and worship him, this resurrected Jesus who's about to descend back into heaven, you know who's there? Acts chapter 1, 14 tells us his mother and his brothers are there. They worship him. And finally, in the letter of James, chapter 1, verses 1, James, the brother of Jesus, the blood brother of Jesus, says this. He introduces the letter and says about Jesus that he is, that James, he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, the brother of Jesus, calls Jesus Lord. So church, his family worshipped worshipped him as the resurrected Savior. Will you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we are so thankful that you made the first move into adopting us into your family. Especially for those who have put their faith and trust into you. So Heavenly Father, but yet there are still many in this room who are just giving you lip service and not heart service. So Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you draw them to your side? Would you save? And for those who are saved, Would you help them to enjoy enjoy the rights and the privileges of being adopted into your family? So God, we thank you. We praise you and give you glory for doing the work we could not do ourselves. And in your great name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.